0: This episode of the Impact Makers podcast is sponsored by Workplace from Meta. Everybody's talking about the metaverse these days, but Workplace from Meta is different. I mean, the clue's in the name, right? Workplace is a business communication tool that uses features like instant messaging and video calls to help people share information. Think Facebook before your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which your job isn't just something you do, but something you experience a future in which we'll all feel more present, connected, and productive. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com forward slash future. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. As a professional speaker, spring and fall are typically my busy seasons. And thankfully, 2022 has been a little bit closer to, quote, normal, meaning more in-person events, more traveling, and more trying to run two businesses while being out of the office and away from my desk a majority of the time. And even though I'm definitely not complaining to be doing the work that I love, it's also pretty normal for me that right about now, as my travel calendar eases up for a couple of months and the end of the year approaches... I settle into closing out current year projects and planning for success in the new year. I also tend to think more about my health during this time of year as I'm typically a bit exhausted, in a good way, but still tired from being on the road for several days each month. So because I'm starting my time of reflection and preparation, and also because there are quite a few new listeners to the Impact Makers podcast, I thought I'd share an episode from the archives on the importance of self-care originally shared as episode number 32 and titled why self-care isn't selfish and how to make it a strategic priority. This episode contains a lot of great tips and advice, as well as some helpful resources that are all linked up for you in the show notes. And I thought it might be helpful to you And to me, to take some time out to focus on our own well-being and self-care in order to avoid health issues or burnout as a result of what we've all been through over the last couple of years. And by the way, I want to thank you for joining me here each week as a loyal listener to the Impact Makers podcast. I hope that you're subscribed or following so you won't miss future episodes and conversations with leaders like you who are making a difference in the workplace and in the lives of those that you lead and serve. So what exactly is self-care? Of course, there are many definitions out there online, so I just picked my favorite, and I like this one. Self-care is an activity that we do deliberately in order to take care of our mental, emotional, and physical health. And although it's a simple concept, taking care of yourself, not all of us do it really well. And so, the result of not taking good care of yourself can mean that you have anxiety, that your relationships with others are affected, or that you have physical challenges that may become a result of wearing your body out, basically. And I shared in the webinar that I did a story about myself from a couple of years after I started my own business and what it means to not really take care of yourself and, I assume, eventually burn out. Now, looking back on it, I think that's probably what it was. But in 2011-12 timeframe, again, relatively new in starting my business, trying to figure out my way as I would go, I'm a single parent who has a mortgage and horses that I have to pay for, and my son was also in his... uh, first or second year of college at the time. So a lot going on in my world, not unlike many of you. The question is whether or not we're handling it well, and I was not actually doing really well with managing my time and taking care of myself. And in 2011, both of my parents, a few months apart from each other, were actually diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma. And so my dad uh, had chosen not to get treatment. My mom had chosen to get treatment and was preparing to start that process. And after a few months, my dad ended up in a nursing home for a period of time and then ultimately passed away in January 2012, shortly after my mother began her first chemotherapy treatments. So while I was home in Tennessee for the time period after my father's death, helping my mother with some of the details and things that need to be taken care of, I actually noticed that I was having some tingly feelings in my legs and I described it as it was like popcorn going off in my legs at all times. And just began to notice it kind of periodically throughout the day, wasn't really able to make it go away by doing thing, anything in particular. And after I ended up coming back home and kind of resuming normal life activities, it was not going away at all. And it was so annoying uh, to the point that I couldn't sleep. I had to actually stand up and walk around in order to make it bearable. If I sat down or laid down, it was unbearable. And, you know, I kind of want to take a sidestep to say, you know, pain is relative. And obviously, I've been blessed with a very healthy life. And so for me, that was really the first major health challenge that I had experienced and, It sent me into real fear about is this what life will be like and what is this? And of course, that didn't help because I need to be working because I need to make an income because nobody else is supporting me. And so it just kind of turned into this health spiral that ended up with me calling my brother, who is a doctor uh, in Tennessee, and telling him kind of what was going on with me. It was a Saturday afternoon and he suggested that I make a visit to the emergency room it was worth getting checked out. And I had never been to the hospital other than to have a baby in my life. So typically a pretty healthy person. So that was scary in and of itself. Made my first trip to the emergency room and they kind of you know, gave their ideas of what it would be and of course referred me to my primary care physician and gave me some medication to help me sleep and and those types of things. So long story sort of short here, turns out once I kind of started being treated for whatever was going on. And it was called a lot of different things. We still don't really know what happened. I think ultimately it was my body sending a signal to say, we give up. You know, you are not choosing to rest. You're not getting rest, you know, for a lot of reasons, again, stress, anxiety, uh, poor sleep habits, etc. cetera. Um, and so we're going to force rest upon you. So... After getting some treatment and again, some medication that was helpful for sleeping for a period of time, I was able to start getting rest and eventually the symptoms, the physical symptoms went away. But it was a real wake up call for me in terms of stress and anxiety and what that can do to you not only mentally, but potentially physically. And that, you know, was life altering at the time and could have been, you know, even more life altering had it continued. And here we are. Um almost eight years later, where during periods of high stress or anxiety, when I'm not taking care of myself, I sometimes feel the beginnings of those symptoms again, and it scares me. And I kind of pop my head up and pay attention and say, it's time to take care of yourself. So again, I'm sharing these tips today with you, but they're also for me. And I'm actively taking steps to make sure that I manage, um, Everyday stress in my life, like all of you have, we all have things that are just natural stressors, whether that's, you know, just finding a way to live and be in the world or to pay your bills or to deal with relationships, both positive and negative. And there's also stress about how to make time for good things. So Congratulations. We're all human. And again, thankfully, you know, I've been on a much healthier path, but I have some work to do. I want to make sure that that never comes back again. And I also, again, want to honor and recognize that my body was sending a signal that it's time to take care of yourself. Actually, it's past time. And so hopefully, you know, by being more proactive in the future, both myself and maybe if you can take some of these tips away, we can both avoid any kind of physical or emotional breakdowns in the future in terms of burnout or stress or anxiety. So We're going to start with the example that if you've been on an airplane and it's almost cliche now, it actually is cliche to say, you know, the the flight attendants do their safety presentation, whether it's on video or they do it live, where, of course, they mention that if there's a loss of cabin pressure, please don't panic. Just the things will fall from the ceiling and you need to put the mask on yourself before you help others or small children around you, which, of course, seems counterintuitive. But more you think about it, obviously, you can't help anyone if you fainted because you You can't breathe. So before you can help others, you have to take care of yourself. And I think it's become a cliche because it's so relatable in the sense that while it's not what our first reaction might be to take care of ourselves in order to be able to take care of others, the reality is we can't be the most helpful and the most impactful in the world if we don't. So I found a quote online from a woman named Shelley Tiger. I hope I'm pronouncing Shelly's name right. She's a mindfulness author and life coach. And I think it's a really good quote. Self-care is a radical act of love that increases your capacity for impact. So, of course, I'm all about being an impact maker. So that speaks to me. And then she goes on to say, a better world starts with the best version of you. So let me read that again. Self-care is a radical act of love that increases your capacity for impact. A better world starts with the best version of you. I don't think, at least for myself, maybe it's, you know... Southern roots, humble beginnings, uh, my generation, whatever it is, I don't usually think of the fact that I'm caring for myself as a radical act of love and also preparing myself for impact. But I like this quote and I try to reference back to it because it's true. Um, We have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of others. I've mentioned Michael Hyatt on this podcast before as someone that I kind of learn from and follow a, a very successful former CEO and now business owner, leader, and one of the things he often talks about is, you know, when you mention, like, your priorities in life, a lot of people, depending on, you know, what your your priorities are that you've defined or, or your current life circumstances, you might say your kids are your number one or your your faith or God is number one or maybe your spouse. We rarely put ourselves at the top of any what is my priority list. And Michael Hyatt says... He's actually number one on his priority list. Second is his relationship to God. Third is his relationship to his wife. And fourth is his relationship to kids. And I think work is number five. And you're all, we're all entitled to create our own list. But he goes on to explain again, if I don't take care of myself, then I can't be the best and highest use for God in this world. I also can't serve my wife and my family, and I certainly can't do my work. So I think that's a sobering thought. If you haven't kind of really sat down and thought about what your priorities are, again, maybe your first response would be to say what you feel sounds like the right answer, which is usually someone else. But the reality is, I think it does make sense that we put ourselves first And I don't mean put yourself first in the sense of like, I have to be first in line and I have to be the first for everything. Put yourself first in terms of how you take care of yourself so that you can better serve the world, whoever your constituents are, whether that's family or the people you work with or the people that you care for or your community, your animals, whatever that might be. They need you to be the best version of yourself. So I'm considering... I pretty much put myself first (laughs) because I live alone and I run my own business and I, uh, you know, work from home. So it's kind of easy probably to put myself first, but I... I have to frame that in the sense of if I put myself first and I take care of myself so that I'm the best I can be, then I'm in a better position to take care of others. So that's kind of the premise that I'm starting with and that, you know, maybe you'll take some time to think about where you fall on your own list and how you can radically love yourself so that you can create a better world through the best version of you. So five areas I want you to think about, regardless of where you put yourself on that list, areas for self-care, physical, emotional, relational, temporal, just because I like words that end in the same thing, but basically your time. And then the fifth would be occupational or your work. So your physical health, your emotional health, relational, so how you relate to others, your family, your friends, temporal, your time and occupational. So let's kind of break down the physical, which, you know, I think is what I put first, because for me, obviously, that was a place where lack of self-care showed up. And I listened to a podcast. uh, It's been a while now. One of Oprah's uh, Super Soul Sunday, I believe, with Tom Brady, which was actually pretty interesting. Now, I'm not a huge football fan. Of course, I know who Tom Brady is. I think even if you're not a football fan, you know who he is. And obviously, some people hate Tom Brady and some people love Tom Brady, depending on their football affiliations or maybe maybe even how they feel about the man himself. But it was an interesting interview. And, and you know, I was aware and have seen other things about him, including I think he did a Facebook series called Tom vs. Time, which really delved into all of the things that he does. He invests, or I'm sure the Patriots invest in his behalf. It's probably part of his contract literally millions of dollars in his physical and and mental and emotional well-being. So he has a team of dieticians that, you know, create special foods for him that are designed specifically to create optimum performance. He has a team of people that work with him physically in terms of making sure his body is ready. He has people that he works with mentally to make sure that he's got the right mindset. So, You know, an athlete at that level, and I've heard a similar podcast interview with LeBron James, they have a whole team of people around them whose sole job is to make sure that that individual is in the absolute best shape ever because obviously they're getting paid millions of dollars to do a job that is very mentally, physically taxing. But Tom, you know, was kind of talking about his diet and some of the weird and wonderful things that he eats and, you know, how he, his physical regimen is. And he made the comment, he said, my body is an asset. And I need to make sure that I protect that asset because I want to play in the NFL at the top of the game as long as I can. And that kind of stood out to me when he said that my body is an asset. So obviously I'm not Tom Brady. I'm not the quarterback for the Patriots. I'm not a 42 year old NFL quarterback who's outlived probably a lot of other quarterbacks in the NFL, but my body is an asset. So if I think of myself as a professional speaker, It's a pretty physically taxing, you know, not, not the part where you're maybe not uh, going to be on stage somewhere, but the travel that's involved, the lifting the suitcases overhead, the dragging them around an airport, the standing up on stage and delivering a message, whether it's 45 minutes or a workshop for a half day or a full day. That's both taxing on the voice and the body and the mind. And obviously you want to be at your best. So. I don't have to be an NFL quarterback or a star in the NBA to say it makes sense for me to invest in my body as I would any precious asset. So in terms of my physical health, does that mean that I'm eating right? Well, I'm trying. I'm joined Weight Watchers. I've downloaded the app. So don't at me. I'm trying. Next time you see me eating a piece of chocolate cake or drinking a Diet Coke, know that those are active choices that I am in consideration about. But, you know, making sure that you're eating right and sleeping right and moving your body. And as I mentioned earlier, sleep for me is a challenge. Not as much so because of anxiety or stress as it was during that time in 2011-12, but because I simply don't make it a priority. And actually, there's research out there from the National Sleep Foundation that says I'm not alone. The National Sleep Foundation research says that 29.9%, so let's just say a third of us, sleep less than six hours per night. And the reality is adults need seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Now you may be out there saying, no, I only need four. I only need five. I wake up naturally at you know 4 a.m. That may be true for a small portion of the population, but even many people who have developed the habit of sleeping less per night, their brain and their body needs more time. So I'm actively working to make sure that I prioritize eight hours of sleep minimum for myself. The challenge for me is I go to bed too late later than I should. And so that means that I end up getting later than I'd like, because I do work for myself. So most of the time I can control that. But I want to make sure that I'm getting eight hours of sleep, whether I feel rested or not when I wake up, because I know that my body physically needs that. So if you, like me, are not prioritizing your sleep, maybe as you set your goals for 2020, what can you do? So for me, for example, I am setting a goal that by 10 o'clock, I'm no longer on any devices and that I'm preparing for bed. So that might mean that I'm going up and brushing my teeth, taking out my contacts, doing those types of things, reading a book for a little bit in bed. And then it'd be great if I'm prepared to go to sleep by 11 or 11 p.m. or 12 a.m. But if I don't set a trigger to start that process, then I'll look up and it's 1am and I'm still playing games on my phone or watching something on TV or maybe even still doing work, which is a real travesty. So take the challenge like me. Let's try to get eight hours of sleep, whatever those things need to be for you. Because the lack of sleep, and these were some interesting things that I found when I was doing this research. You know, we think about lack of sleep being that you're tired and yeah, maybe your reflexes are down. But actually, lower levels of sleep or not enough sleep, sleep deprivation, leads to lower levels of trust and cooperation in negotiating with people. Wow. Wow. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily even mean a work related thing where you're trying to negotiate to get what you want or to get someone to sign off on something. We negotiate with people all day, every day. We're, We're trying to convince people to do something that we want. If you're a person of influence, you're trying to influence people. So that one stuck out for me that, you know, actually not sleeping enough can make me less effective at negotiating for the things that I need or that I can do to help others. And it's also people with uh, sleep deprivation have a higher prevalence of unethical and deviant behaviors. Oh, we don't want that, do we? So (laughs) I want to be ethical and non-deviant. It lowers your levels of interpersonal helping. So in other words, you don't want to help other people when you're tired and sleepy and cranky. It's difficult to multitask and a higher propensity to, to get injured. Of course, again, lack of effort, a lot of things that you would think of. So I sum that up as sleep, good sleep, is a strategic advantage. So in my work and in my life, I'm always looking for what are the strategies that I can put in place to perform at my best, to meet my clients' needs, to serve my community in the best way possible. And I'm saying by putting myself first, the number one thing that I can do to make that happen is to prioritize sleep as a strategic advantage. So why don't you join me? Send me a message on social media or DM me. And let me know if you're in for the Sleep as a Strategic Advantage Club. <laughs> Another thing you can do for your physical well-being is to get outside and play. Now, I think for many years, I was an indoors person. I spent a lot of time watching TV, laying on a couch, doing those things. And then when I was 35, I started riding horses again after a 20 year absence. And for a while, I took one lesson a week and then I leased a horse and then I bought a horse. And now I have I had three horses uh, a year ago now down down to two after one passed away. But I am so grateful for my horses because having them has reinvigorated a love for being outdoors for me. And it also forces me to get outdoors on days where I'd prefer to stay inside when it's too cold or too hot or snowing or raining. My horses still benefit from getting out and exercising. Two of them, they live, one lives indoors full time and gets out, you know, for turnout and things. But she obviously can benefit if I go out And exercise her. The other one goes out a portion of the day and comes in. So spending time with her is important to me. So I'm so grateful that I have, again, a trigger that prompts me to get outside at least five days a week. And when I'm outside, and of course, the weather is glorious and wonderful and the sun is out, it is very life-giving. But I'm also appreciative of the times where it's 20 below zero mail in Cincinnati. Maybe it doesn't get that low, but it's been 10 below. And I've been at the barn getting my horses out. (laughs) And I'm grateful that I'm not sitting on the couch watching TV. So what is it for you outdoors? I mean, there's all kinds of woo-woo research out there that just having your feet on the ground sends vibrations through your body that are positive. Certainly getting sun and vitamin D in a healthy level is important for your mood and your health. And I think probably most of us would agree just being outside can make you happy. So if you don't have a hobby or a trigger that causes you to want to get outdoors, to move, to play, it's never too late. You can play a sport. You can go for a walk. You can start running, even if you walk in the races. What is it that can help you get outdoors? So when you think about your physical health, I like to prioritize my sleep, or at least I'm working on that. And then I'm also grateful that I have something that causes me to move and get outdoors. Second area for self-care is obviously around emotional, and that's a big one for many of us. And and as I shared the example earlier, for me, a lot of it was emotional stress. Um, And that can be an ugly thing for a lot of people, both in how you relate to others and also, you know, the choices that you make, good or bad. So I like to choose to be happy, and I'm going to give myself a B-plus on this. On the physical, I would probably give myself a a B-minus because I don't exercise as much as I should, but I'm going to give myself a B plus. I'm going to give myself an A minus. Let me change that grade. An A minus to choosing to be happy. I'm a generally happy person. One of my favorite keynote speakers is Sean Acor who's a happiness researcher. If you're not familiar with Sean Acor, he's written a couple of best-selling books. One is called The Happiness Advantage and the other one's Before Happiness. He also has been a guest on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday a couple of times talking about happiness. And he's delightful to hear as a speaker. He talks a million miles an hour, but he is, again, a happiness researcher and a Harvard professor who teaches classes on happiness. The most popular class, I think, at Harvard for a while. And I love one of the things he shares freely. It's out there online. I'll link to it. But it's also in his book, The Happiness Advantage. He gives six daily happiness exercises that are proven that you can actually train yourself to be more happy. And so, again, I'll link to these so you can read more about them. But the six daily happiness exercises are gratitude exercises where you write down three things you're grateful for that occurred over the last 24 hours. And you don't have to think these are not profound. Just three things you're grateful for. It could be my dog licked my face and that made me happy. I'm grateful for that. The second daily happiness exercise, the doubler. Take one positive experience from the past 24 hours and spend two minutes writing down every detail about that experience. As you remember it, your brain labels it meaningful and deepens the impact. So again, doesn't have to be profound. Just two minutes kind of writing out why you were grateful for that. Third one, the fun 15, do 15 minutes of fun cardio activity like gardening or walking the dog every day. Daily cardio can be as effective as taking an antidepressant. So we know that there is a prevalence of kind of depression, anxiety out there in the world and any doctor, any therapist, probably their first recommendation is almost always you need to move more, you need to exercise. And that can be as effective as a drug for some people. Obviously, many people do need to take some treatment in order to solve those health-related issues. But 15 minutes, that's all we need to do. So whether that's for me going out and exercising with my horses, or if it's a day where I'm not going to the barn, what am I doing for 15 minutes? Something fun that I enjoy Again, can be a hobby. It doesn't have to be doing sit-ups. That's not a hobby for me. Don't enjoy it. I do it, but I don't enjoy it. So it's just setting aside a fun 15. Fourth daily happiness exercise, meditation. Every day, take two minutes to stop whatever you're doing and concentrate on breathing. Even a short mindful breath can result in a calmer, happier you. Now, this is one I'm going to challenge myself again to work on. I've tried meditation. I say try. It wasn't a very strong try probably. (laughs) My mind wanders, I start to think and I think, you know, anybody who is good at meditation says that's normal, just bring your mind back. So but two minutes, I've downloaded the calm app, I can use that to just meditate for two minutes. Fifth area for daily happiness exercise conscious act of kindness. I love this one at the start of every day, send a short email or text praising someone you know, our brains become addicted to feeling good by making others feel good. Every one of us has time to do this. It's a matter of prioritizing it or putting it on your schedule. Why not put it on your calendar? First thing in the morning, a quick text message to someone or a quick email or maybe a voicemail if, if you like those things. Just tell someone hey, I really appreciate you. Thanks for doing this for me. You know, we don't do that enough. I just did a podcast interview yesterday where one of the questions was how do leaders show appreciation? And my response was we need to schedule it. You know, most of us naturally think we're better at showing appreciation than we are with our family members, with the people we work with or that work for us. And we're actually not as good at it as as we think we are. And no one can give too much appreciation. So schedule it. The start of every day, send a quick message to somebody And thank them or praise them. And then finally, the sixth happiness exercise from Sean Acor, deepen your social connections. Spend time with family and friends. Social connections are one of the best predictors for success and health and even life expectancy. So as I said, I'll link to those in the show notes. I think those could be life changing for all of us. I do pretty well with three of the six. I'm going to really make uh, it a priority to do more of that both in the fourth quarter of this year and into 2020, because who doesn't like to be happy? I like to be happy and I want to make others happy as well. So the third area for self-care is around your relationships, which so we ended on deepening social connections. What are you intentionally doing to develop and deepen your relationships? Now, some of you may be extroverted. And you're like, I have thousands of friends and they're all very deep connections. And that's great. Good for you. Others of us may be challenged where... You know, maybe you are introverted, or maybe you do live alone, or maybe your spouse travels a lot, so you end up alone. Whatever those reasons are, for most of us, being alone more often than not is not that healthy. So, what can you do to get out and just connect with other people? I know when I was going through a difficult period in my life after I got divorced many, many years ago, my mother gave me some very good advice. So thank you, mom, for always bringing out those drops of wisdom. She said, Jennifer, you can't sit at home and feel sorry for yourself. I know this is a hard time and it is, you know, a a difficult situation, but you've got to get out of yourself and give to others. So whether that's going out and finding a place to volunteer, get involved in your church, things beyond your work life where you are involved in connecting with and volunteering and helping others. So I've even the last few years, you know, I do a a lot of that to get out and connect now. I'm certainly gotten better at that. But, you know, I can do more. So I've looked at volunteering like at the pet shelter, walking dogs. There's always, you know, feeding meals to homeless people or people in need there are always people in nursing homes that need to be visited, you know. So these are all things I can do. It's a matter again of not just saying, well, I could do all these things. I need to pick a couple and actually make them happen. So what are you doing to actually nurture communities and relationships? You may think you're doing a-okay, but if you take a few minutes to kind of take a step back and say, do I have some meaningful connections out there? Not just the friends that I can call at 2 a.m. or the girlfriends that I go out with or the guy friends that we watch football." But are there others that I'm pouring into their life? Because that's an aspect of self care. Caring for other people, building meaningful relationships is important for you, back to your number one priority, or potentially yourself as your number one priority. How can you help others? Fifth area, we're in the home stretch here your time. So, temporal. I am going to follow Maxine Waters' famous advice. I'm going to reclaim my time. And I have been on an active mission on this for the last few weeks. My time is probably my biggest Achilles heel, probably even bigger than sleep. And so I am working actively and using tools to reclaim my time. And I can tell you there have been a couple of days recently where I have felt so good about how I managed my day. And I went to bed that night thinking, why am I not doing this every day? Because this is actually productive. It's helpful. I feel good when I go to bed instead of feeling overwhelmed, like I'm never going to get ahead. And one of those things took a couple of those, actually three tools I'm going to share with you. And I'll link to all of these in the show notes. Number one is designing your ideal week. Now this is something again, I'm kind of baby stepping into. It's not perfect, but On Sunday evenings or Sunday afternoon, I'm actually sitting down and I'm using a Michael Hyatt technique. So there's Michael Hyatt again for you of designing my ideal week. His technique is really design your ideal week and kind of have it as an ongoing template. I'm doing it on a week to week basis to try to get used to the idea where you actually take your calendar and you block out times for specific activities. So I'll link to in the show notes an example of the ideal week. Actually, it's an Excel spreadsheet that he created. You can use it and modify of your own. It's at livingforwardbook.com forward slash resources. Forward slash ideal dash week and again. That's a long URL. Feel free to look it up in the show notes. But he gives an Excel spreadsheet there where you can block out time for processing emails, for phone calls, for doing project work, for creativity, for meetings, etc. And being very intentional about how I'm spending my time is life changing. Because yeah, I work from home, but a lot of people demand things of me or want my time. How can I protect that and ensure that I'm also setting aside time for those hobbies and activities and caring for others? And... I think this is a great template that he shared to get you thinking about your ideal week. If you work in an office, I think back to my time as a professional in the corporate world. You know, I didn't really have control of my time because there were constantly people stepping in my office. Can I have a minute? There were people scheduling meetings over my time. And I didn't take the intentional step to block time to actually work on things. This is a game changer. So take a look at that ideal week calendar, consider the idea of blocking out time on your calendar for specific activities, most importantly for the projects and the important work that you actually want to get accomplished. And I think a tip that Michael Hyatt shares is when you block this out on your calendar, so you've scheduled two hours for project work or something, you know, creative, etc., Then when someone says, can I schedule a meeting during that time? Or can we meet for a cup of coffee? You can honestly say, I have another commitment. And you can say, no, isn't that amazing? You can say, no, I have another commitment. And the reality is you have a commitment to yourself. You're not lying. You're not being evasive. I've got another commitment. My priority is to get this work done. And I'm not available at that time. That could be a game changer. Again, let me know if you're able to implement that. And I'll give you another resource around that. And I'm just going to link to this in the show notes. It's a, a YouTube video from Amy Landino, who I enjoy following. She's all about good morning, good life, where she kind of goes through how to do calendar blocking using Google Calendar. So taking that ideal week concept, Michael Hyatt shares, and then actually how do you block it out on your calendar? So check the show notes for the link to that. Or you can just Google Amy Landino Calendar Block. It's a very popular video out there. And again, if you take that concept and make it your own. She actually schedules her entire life on her calendar. And if she, you know, takes less time or more time for something, she updates her calendar. I'm not that crazy about it. But I do find the concept and the practice of blocking time to be really helpful. And then finally, in terms of your time, are you actually scheduling creative time? That's where I have fallen down over the last few years. I have not actually scheduled time to be creative. To, to think about where my business is heading or what I need to do to improve my health or even, you know, what I need to do to help others. And I love the fact that Jeff Wiener, who's the CEO of LinkedIn, he's mentioned it several times. I've heard him speak several times on stage. He was also is this like Oprah Super Soul alumni here? He was on Oprah's Super Soul podcast. And he actually schedules And I think we have to believe him because he's said it more than once, 90 minutes to two hours on his calendar every day just to think. And he says it's the single most important productivity tool that he uses now, we can look at this a couple of ways. You can say he's a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company. He can say he wants to schedule two hours and nobody's going to question him on that. But I think you can also look at the flip side and say he's the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company who has a lot of demands on his time, legit demands. And so if he's prioritizing creativity time on his schedule, which he says the solution, as simple as it sounds, is to periodically schedule nothing. Use that buffer time to think big, catch up on the latest news, Industry news, not news. (laughs) Get out from under that pile of unread emails or just take a walk. Whatever you do, just make sure you make the time for yourself every day and in a systematic way. And don't leave unscheduled moments to chance. Again, this buffer is the best investment you can make in yourself and the single most important productivity tool that I use. So maybe you can't start with two hours like Jeff Wiener and you don't have an administrative assistant who's going to block people and gatekeep for you. But can you schedule 30 minutes? You should. I should. We need to be thinking about how to make things better in our business, in our work, on our teams, how to create more. That's the magic for making the most impact in life. And most of us, myself included, have really sold ourselves short by not scheduling that time. So I'm going to do it. Finally, the last area for self-care, occupational. Are you in your workspace? making sure that it's clear and clutter free and that you are at your best when you are in your workspace. I can think back to when I worked in the corporate world and I had the habit, you know, and again, it was a habit. I claimed it as a gift, (laughs) as as a strength. I had a really cluttered office. My desk was full of piles and I would even get to very often points where I would pile things on the floor in sort of organized piles where I knew things were. And so people would come in and comment on that. And I would talk about how that was a sign of brilliance and that I could put my finger on anything I wanted at any time. But every seems like, you know, week between Christmas and New Year's or kind of that end of year timeframe, I get the bug like many of you to organize and clean up and, you know, clear out and throw away. And usually my office is one of the first places that I do that. And it really physically and mentally feels like a weight lifted off my shoulder when my office is uncluttered and my my home, my space is uncluttered. So there's lots of research out there that say clutter really does affect us, cause stress and anxiety. So if you're like me and you're claiming that your piles are part of your genius You might want to rethink that. And I'm rethinking that as I sit here behind some piles. But I'm going to really make it a point. I'm actually going to schedule some time and my time blocking to clear clutter. Because having an organized workplace is going to make you ultimately more productive. It's going to free up your mind for creative thinking. And it's going to also, things I do realize when I do get organized, it is easier to find things. (laughs) So getting your space organized and setting boundaries. So I talked about setting boundaries with your calendar by blocking time. But again, you've probably heard this before. No is a complete sentence. What are you willing to do in order to prioritize your self-care? What are you not willing to do that you need to say no to in order to prioritize your self-care? Whether it's More often with women or just I hear uh, people in general say it. We, We have a hard time saying no. We're people pleasers. We don't like to say no to people and myself included. But I'm trying to learn how to recognize no, I can't do that or no, I'm not available or no, I'm not going to participate or no, that's not a good fit for me. Those are all complete sentences that I need to learn how to say better. So I've given you five areas to focus on maybe now and into the new year as you begin to plan physical, emotional, relational, temporal, and occupational. And remember that self-care is a radical act of self-love that helps you to create more impact. So I'll just leave you with this. It's important to take care of yourself so you can show up every day and be your best self every day in order to take care of your employees, your company, and your family. So give it some thought about putting yourself first and whether you take some of my suggestions for improving your self-care and taking better care of yourself. What are you going to do to put yourself first into the new year and beyond so that you can be your best? I'd love it if you'd share your thoughts and ideas with me. You can find me on Twitter at Jennifer McClure. You can find me on LinkedIn, Jennifer McClure. You can find me on Instagram at Jennifer underscore McClure. You can find me on Facebook as well. All you need to do though is hashtag it Impact Makers Podcast and I will look for you and find you and celebrate your successes. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence.